0: Hello, and welcome to the Two Guys, Four Balls
1: podcast.
0: Welcome to another Two Guys, Four Balls podcast. This is Patrick with me as always, Julius, and we're going to get right into it, talking all-star game basketball, NBA after the all-star game. And for me, Julius, this All-Star weekend was nothing to write home about and didn't really care about it, uh, which is really sad because growing up, and even you know six years ago,, um, you know, I used to look forward to the NBA All-Star weekend. And, and the NBA is an organization and, and league that it's the one game I feel like that should be able to host the All-Star weekend the best with just everything you can do on a basketball court. And for me, Major League Baseball, MLB, and uh, the National Hockey League in NHL have overtaken the All-Star Weekend festivities and have made it just more fun for their fans. And they give their fans what they want. And I feel like the NBA is going in the opposite direction for me personally. Um, if it wasn't for a G-leaguer and that, not to take anything away from Mac yes mac i couldn't make the g league so not to take anything away from this man <laughs> um but he saved the dunk contest single-handedly i don't I, I, maybe it has to do with him being white and like 6-1 and jumping out the gym uh but you know and i will give him credit on this because there's nothing that makes me more upset in the dunk contest than them having unlimited attempts he made all of his dunks on the first attempt so that was even more impressive. I, I, I need them to go back to two attempts max. I, I, I hate the unlimited attempt rule. I think it's dumb. If you can't do the dunk, you can't do the dunk. I don't need to see them. I don't care if they do a hard dunk and, and it took them 39 tries. I don't care by that point. It, two, try, two attempts and get, get off the court. Um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, for me, the All-Star Weekend, even the skills challenge. I remember when the skills challenge used to be competitive. You'd have two guys going at the same time now they're doing team Utah and team and Antetokounmpo and it's like Giannis isn't even in it so we got Drew Holiday out there and I got both of the other Antetokounmpo brothers diving on the ground and couldn't make a shot no one could make a shot in the skills challenge there was like seven points and eight points
1: oh, that mm.
0: Walker Kessler hit a 3 which which sealed the deal for team Utah I, I was just like what is happening like I, I just again Julius, I've really looked forward this this was one of my favorite all star weekends growing up the nBA all star weekend used to be my favorite all star and now to me it's fallen down to number three like it nothing's gonna be worse than the NFL nFL has, has to figure the pro Bowl out but um it's 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 number three in my opinion
1: yeah it's it's starting to starting to collapse some and and like you said even with the skills challenge and they not that we want to make a big deal about analyzing exhibitions, but uh, the skills challenge was hard to watch at times. Uh, for the rookie team, first of all, I have questions as to how you pick that team. If you've really been paying attention to them, Paulo Boncaro, yes, he is the runaway leader for Rookie of the Year at this point, but he entered the all-star break in a shooting slump. Happens. You hit the rookie wall sometimes. Some rookies do, some don't. But he entered in, in a slump. If you look at the way Jabari Smith And Jaden Ivey has shot the ball this year; it hasn't been good. So, why those three? I guess they just had the biggest names. I guess they were drafted the highest. I don't know what. To me, Benedict Matherin has still been the best pure scorer as a rookie. I think Bon Carroll's been the best all around rookie. That's why I think he's the runaway leader. But I just don't even—I don't understand why you don't have Benedict Matherin, who—I mean, this, this is the guy, Benedict Matherin, who from day one said, hey, LeBron James got to prove he's better than me. Why wouldn't you want him on the rookie team somewhere? Instead, you get, again, one guy in a slump, two guys that have struggled all year to find their consistent shooting touch, and then you get surprised when they enter a skills challenge and don't make a single shot. Thanks, appreciate that. You have Team Jazz, which featured Colin Sexton. Colin Sexton, who hurt his hamstring and had to leave a game early, before the All-Star break, Colin Sexton, who has just re-evaluated today and is going to miss another week because of his hamstring strain, how, how are you competing in a skills challenge that means nothing while you're injured? I, I don't understand. We can't get these guys to play at games while they're injured, but you want to compete in this. Why? And you can say all oh, this, this night to save not the same intensity. Anybody that's had a hamstring injury understands how fickle hamstring injuries can be you don't have to do much you can go up and down the stairs the wrong way and aggravate a hamstring injury so why you would be doing anything basketball related that's even remotely competitive why you have a hamstring that's so bad that you can't compete in nba games a week or two after the fact i just i'll never be able to understand that Uh, as for the dunk contest i thought overall it was it was good, you know, and of course, everybody's in love with Mac McClung and what they saw because he, he was the far and away best dunker in the contest. But I'll say two things. One, the scoring system is finally looking good. OK, we can actually start giving scores that aren't whole numbers. So that, that makes a big difference. You don't have ties all the time. I believe if they had the scoring system when it was Gordon versus Levine that Gordon would have had his rightful championship then but better late than never for the scoring change. And I really did think the other dunkers did pretty well. I thought Trey Murphy did pretty well. I thought Jericho Sims, he might not have had the most creativity, but I thought he had impressive dunks. He could have left the, the envelope alone, but <laughs> the dunks themselves were impressive, for especially for a seven-footer, because we know the dunk contest is not designed for a seven-footer to win. So I thought he did all right. And even Kenyon Martin Jr. I, I wasn't sure what was going on with the basketball he was using. I guess it was a 3D printed basketball, which is interesting. But I thought the other dunkers, I thought all the dunkers this year were better than what we saw last year. So
0: couldn't get worse. Could not get worse.
1: <laughs> so so we're 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 making a step in the right direction, even beyond Mac McClung breaking all the stereotypes mm-hmm. on his way to a slam dunk championship. The three-point shootout has, has become the crowning event of All-Star Weekend at this point. Uh, Damian Lillard won that. Again, I have concerns that you know Lillard's in the three-point contest, and then the first game after the All-Star Break, you're not able to play, but whatever. But that that that's the contest I'm looking forward to the most now, because that, that's the one contest where it seems like you get anything remotely competitive out of these players everything else just seems to be a joke everything else is just laughing and joking and getting through it even the all-star game i don't know what happened with the actual game itself but in years in recent years i'm not i'm not one of these people that says everything's got to be the way it was in the 80s and 90s because that's what people assume you're going to say in recent years since they invoked the kind of golden point rule The Kobe rule, if you will. These games have been competitive at the end. We know every All-Star game, going back as far as you want to go back, early in the games, everybody, it it was understood that you kind of let guys show off. You let me get my dunk in, I'll let you get your dunk in. But at some point, competitiveness started to kick in. And for whatever reason this year, that never happened. I mean, even when Giannis's team was three points away from winning, they still gave up a layup line drive to the basket for Jason Taylor. There's three points left in the game, and that's what you're doing? I mean, to have a large enough lead where guys are taking turns trying to end the game from behind half court just because they're that bored with, with the game. It, it, I don't, I, again, I don't know what happened this year. This was the first time since they did the Golden Point rule where I felt like there was absolutely no pride in the All-Star game. And it was already bad enough because if you're a casual fan, if you're, because, you know, people keep saying, oh, it's for the kids now or whatever. Okay, let's say it's for the kids. Okay, if you're a kid, your favorite players probably, you know, Stephen Curry, didn't play. Kevin Durant, didn't play. Giannis played for literally five seconds. And LeBron James, the only guy who made one defensive attempt at a play, he hurts his hand on the rim and he misses half the game. So in a game where, all the biggest names are out for, if not most of the game, all the game. You would think these other guys who don't normally get the shine over Steph, over KD, over LeBron, over Giannis. You would think those guys would want to show out and show some competitive nature, but it just never happened. And that was the most disappointing part for me is that nobody seemed to want to step up and make it an entertaining game. Jason Tatum wanted to step up in terms of, hey, if nobody else wants to play defense, I'll take advantage to score all the points. But nobody stepped up to really have that memorable moment. There's, there's no real moment from this game. I guess you could say because some of the half-court shots that went in. But other than that, there's there's nothing memorable from this game. There's nothing exciting about this game. And, and that was that was a disappointment for me to, to see. So overall, I'm, I'm with you, Patrick. The NBA has all the makings to have an entertaining all-star game. But If you are a fan of sports, and that's different from being a fan of show or a fan of highlights, if you're a fan of sports, if you're a fan of competitiveness, if you're a fan of seeing the best, giving their best, then the hockey and baseball all-star games far and away exceed anything the NBA is doing right now.
0: Yeah, and, and just to kind of touch on some of the points you were making um there is no defense anymore in the all-star game and that was weird to see because even whenever um team lebron kind of cut it within like seven or eight you heard something the announcers like oh are they gonna step up the defense all right is this when the defense you know steps up and gets supplied no they they gave up like four (laughs) offensive rebounds so dame could finally hit the game-winning three-pointer and then Team LeBron and everybody's doing the Dame Time celebration. Like, I just don't I don't get it. Like, to me, that's – and if I'm the the charity they're playing for, I'd be pissed. Like, y'all got me, like, 100K instead of Team Giannis got the other charity, like, 800K. I'd be like, where – come on, man. Like, it just was – my favorite time for the All-Star Game is back when you used to wear your, your team's jersey. I don't know if anyone else remembers that, but whenever you actually oh, yeah. used to wore, wear your team's jersey – that was that was my favorite time. Even in the even in the NFL, when they used to wear their team's helmet when they would play in the Pro Bowl, that's that was my favorite favorite time for for All Star games. And they did it in, in Major League Baseball as well, and things like that with the hats. Um, those were my favorite times for All Star games. And and like you said, I'm not saying that we have to go back to the 80s or 90s or anything like that. But you know, even early 2000s and stuff like that, it just just seemed that. Even the ex the exhibition games just mean a little used to mean a little bit more versus what they do with the newer athletes these days, and not even close. It's just kind of sad to see, like you said. I, I mean, the three point contest I feel like has always been competitive, but now it's the most competitive thing at All Star Weekend. Um, and I understand the dunk contest. A lot of people might not want to join it, and I, you know, there's a lot of talk around LeBron ruined the dunk contest because he never joined it. The thing is at least in my opinion, the dunk contest was there for people who were rising stars, right? Like, like, oh, this guy could be great. LeBron was being called the king in junior year of high school. He had nothing to prove coming into the NBA. Some of these other guys think they're already on that level when they come into the NBA or, or anything like that, but when they're not, you know, so for people to say that LeBron ruined the dunk contest, in my opinion, I don't think that's what happened. Um, I think that stars just feel like they don't need to prove who they are anymore. You know, I was a number two overall pick, so I'm a beast. Well, that's not always true. Ask Sam Bowie. But, um, you know, I just, I don't know. For me, I, I I, think the dunk contest, I think people are nervous to lose it because of this whole, are you the goat conversation? What are the accolades on your resume? I think people are scared to be like, you lost the dunk contest, right? Like if, if they think they're ever going to be in, in a top 50 conversation, they don't want to have that stupid... Like oh I lost the dunk contest and let's be honest LeBron James isn't even that good of a dunk contest dunker like is he a good in game dunker yeah because he used to cock it back halfway behind his head and then slam it down being his whole head above the backboard but like in I, in the dunk contest I don't even know the the high school dunk contest he won the McDonald's one It was not a good dunk contest so uh, I personally never really wanted to see him in the dunk I know a lot of people did uh, just because it was LeBron James but um, you know since Aaron Gordon pretty much got screwed over uh, to Derrick Jones Jr. because of Dwayne Wade, the dunk contest has really fallen downhill. I think I think a lot of it more has to do with the judging and the scoring of it versus you know LeBron James not doing it. Because to make that argument, that means Blake Griffin wouldn't have been in the dunk contest. It means Dwight Howard wouldn't have been in the dunk contest. All these guys after LeBron would not have been in the dunk contest. Those were number one overall picks. Those were guys who were supposed to be, Faces of the franchise. So to randomly now, 20 plus years later, say it's LeBron's fault to me is ridiculous. Since since he's been in the league, other number one picks or high draft picks have done the dunk contest. So I I I understand people hate LeBron and they need to make up some type of media news. But can we stop blaming LeBron for everything just because you don't like him or you don't think he's the goat? Like. It's ridiculous to me the the narratives that are made whenever you can just look back at recent history to see other number one picks doing the dunk contest.
1: In terms of that, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. I am somebody who feels like it would have been nice to see LeBron in the dunk contest, and I, I get that your your point on you know power dunkers don't necessarily do as well as more aesthetic dunkers in a sense. At the same time, like you said, we've seen Dwight Howard do it and do it successfully. We've seen Amari Stonemeyer do it as a power dunking type. So it can be done where you can go and make power dunking look good in a dunk contest. I would never go as far as to say LeBron James ruined the dunk contest or that any one individual ruined the dunk contest. But what I will say is this. When you go back to watch some of the dunk contests like late 80s and stuff, you saw like Michael Jordan and Dominique Wilkins and guys like that well into their prompts. So it wasn't just a, a, you know, just kind of a, an introduction of sorts. You know, you might be able to say that was the case with somebody like Kobe Bryant. He did it when he was a youngster and kind of was waiting to see, is he going to live up to the hype kind of thing? Uh, But back then you had all the best players who were reasonable participants they competed at their peaks. I'm not asking for a 38-year-old LeBron James who just hurt his foot jumping and landing. I'm not asking for him to do a dunk contest now. But it would have been nice to see him do it 15 years ago.
0: Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I'm with you. I'm not it. saying I I'm not saying I wouldn't want to see I wouldn't have wanted to see him in the dunk contest, but people are now mad that like 18 years in, 15 year in LeBron isn't doing a dunk contest. I like if he would have done it, he would have done it on his first rookie contract. Like we're not, we're past that now. Like I'm tired of hearing people complain about it. 16 years later, that 18 to 22 year old LeBron didn't do a dunk contest. Like we can't go back in time. He just didn't do it. It's it. I'm over with. I, I'm with you. I would have loved to see him in one, but at this point, it's a mute. It's a moot point because he didn't do it. So to to blame 38 year old LeBron for why the dunk contest is the way it is to me, is ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I hear you on that. I hear you on that. And I think for me, if we're going to point to what has ruined it, it's what we just talked about before. It's the lack of competitive pride that these players have overall. It's the fact that, and this, this, is, this is the way I look at it, star players are now scared of losing to a Jeremy Evans in yeah. a dunk contest yeah. or losing to a G leaguer in a dunk contest. The dunk contest is the one thing that you could potentially get embarrassed in. If you lose in a three point contest, nobody's really going to remember, you know, if you go out there, you know, unless you're Michael Jordan, then they, then they bring up, they, you know, Michael Jordan scored five points in the three point contest <laughs> 35 years ago. You know, they will remember that. But other than that, they won't remember Kevin Herter Ugh. missing almost all the shots I remember in the three-point contest. <laughs> you're not a Terrapins fan. Man. You're not going to remember that. You're not going to remember that a month from now. Ugh. You're not, you're not going to remember. If, if you go through the years and say, outside of that one time Michael Jordan did bad, who finished last in these three-point contests? Nobody remembers. So there's, there's no real embarrassment. If, if if somebody shoots an air ball on one of the shots, nobody's going to care. But could you imagine somebody doing, trying to do a dunk, a star player trying to do a dunk and missing it and falling down? That's on Twitter forever. Could you imagine if, if, if you are somebody who hates LeBron or hates a certain player and they lost a dunk contest to Nate Robinson, Your goat lost to a guy that's not even 5'10". That's why these guys don't do it. They're scared to be embarrassed. A competitive fire is no longer there. That is why a John Morant won't do it. That is why a Zion Williamson won't do it. They're scared to get embarrassed. They'll all do three-point contests. Julius Randle was in the three-point contest.
0: And he did better Julius than Julius Randle is
1: not an all star because of three point shooting. Anybody who thought that just saw why. His own child was in tears of embarrassment watching his dad shoot brick after brick in the three point contest. But guys ain't, ain't embarrassed to shoot some bricks. They, they, they don't mind going out and doing that. But embarrassing yourself on a dunk, they're scared of that. Losing to a six foot two white guy that's never scored an NBA point, they're scared of that. So that's what's ruined the three-point contest to me, the lack of competitive fire that you see, and you see it prevalent in all the other events, and you see it prevalent in these games now. Just the lack of competitive fire that spills over to guys not participating in the dunk contest.
0: Yeah, you made a good point about social media with like Twitter, Facebook, or where it's going to live on Instagram forever. Um, I think also we need to look at how social media and just, you know, the new age of athlete have has changed everything. And I think the GOAT debate has a lot to do with it. Um, just because, again, you know, they we've talked about this a lot. You know, people are always like, you're not a good player because you didn't win, win a championship ring, which is one of the most absurd arguments you could have, because for anyone who watched, you know Kevin Garnett, even though he got one with Boston finally, but like say he never got one, right? Even before he got one with Boston, he was still a great player. Anyone who said he wasn't a great player is smoking crack. Like people who say Charles Barkley isn't a great player, I, I just don't know what basketball you were watching. Like I don't feel I don't understand why Kevin Garnett felt like he had to go to Boston and team up with Paul Pierce and Ray Allen to try to win a ring to solidify his his you know. Career because that's what everyone's chasing now. Everyone chases everyone's chasing a ring because if you don't get a ring, it's like your career didn't matter, and that's what everyone focuses on now, which is absurd because you have so many other stats, and all these analytic guys who love analytics nowadays, which is why Jokic is probably gonna win his third straight MVP. All those guys who love stats and numbers, it's just weird. It's just a weird era we're in right now because no one's saying Robert Ori's the goat. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and But he has a ton of rings, but no one's saying that his career meant something like to the uh, effect of Michael Jordan or, or LeBron. Like, so it's just funny how people can use logic and, and numbers in certain situations and other situations. They're just like, like you said, if, if someone lost the dunk contest, I think they're worried that it'd be like, oh, he's a seven-time All-Star, seven-time scoring champ, four-time All-NBA defensive team. But he lost the dunk contest in 2023, so he can't be the GOAT. I think people are worried about that, which is just funny.
1: Yeah, I think they're worried about the embarrassment. And, you know, when it comes to the rings and stuff, there's such an inconsistent standard there because, you know, we sit there and count rings sometimes, and like you said, to the point where guys feel the need in some cases to try to keep catching on with teams to win championships. In the case of Garnett, I, I did feel like the Timberwolves wanted to do him a favor. They wanted to do right by him. They they knew. They failed him. Oh, absolutely. As far as not getting him the pieces for a championship team. So I, I think the Timberwolves kind of did like a, a mercy trade there. I'm not sure how much Garnett wanted to go as much as the Timberwolves were kind of guilted themselves into doing it. But we see so many of these other players moving around, time and time again, trying to chase that championship, trying to stack teams. Even after they win a championship, oh, that championship wasn't good enough because you won it under this coach or you won it with these teammates. So now you got to go win it over here, or you want it in this conference. Now you got to go win it in that conference. You know, you got all these, all these, uh, you know, pieces that are all these, uh, you know, just standards that move and oscillate all over the place. But then you have. The types like a Chris Paul or a Carmelo Anthony, guys who everyone loves who have never won a championship. Someone like Derek Rose, beloved, never won a championship, never came all that close. So even with the rings, it's like sometimes they matter, sometimes they don't. Kawhi Leonard, nobody cares if he won two championships. I see people say all the time, "Oh, this Clippers team is the most disappointing team of all time and all this other stuff. Little do they know, this is the best the Los Angeles Clippers have ever been. And it's not to say that that's all it's about, but to sit here and say that Kawhi Leonard is still this championship or bust after he won with San Antonio. Then people said he was a system player. He leaves San Antonio. San Antonio immediately goes into the gutter, and is completely in the gutter now. Toronto wins the only championship they may ever see. I remember when y'all said Kawhi Leonard for DeMar DeRozan was an even trade. I remember that. So he goes and wins two championships with two organizations who have both been irrelevant ever since he left. And he still somehow needs to win another championship to prove himself. But again, the Chris Paul, Carmelo, Anthony, Derrick Rose types, they they don't don't have to win at all to prove anything. So (laughs) everything's got these inconsistent standards. And that's why it's funny to me to see players try to react to some of these fan standards because – it's always going to be personal. <laughs> if, if, if they don't like you, no matter what you do, it won't be good enough. If they do like you, they like Jokic. It's, it's all right if he gets triple doubles and doesn't win any championships or doesn't go to the finals. They like Luka Doncic. It's okay if he gets triple doubles and leads the league in turnovers and all this other stuff. We don't, we don't care about that stuff because we like them. So – the standards are always going to be inconsistent, and and you know it, it's a battle you can't win if you're a player and you're trying to change things around. Oh, let me prove that I can win with this team. Let me prove that I can win with this coach. Let me prove that I can win without this guy. None of, none of that matters. All that matters is if they like you or not. So, you know, it is what it is. And sometimes they love trash talk. John Morant talks a little trash. Oh, now now everybody don't doesn't like John Morant anymore. You know, but another player talks trash, and, and it's it's funny. It's it's great. It's what we want to see. So the standard will never be consistent, and hopefully at some point, even with social media and, and the trolls and everything else out there, hopefully at some point these players recognize the fans really don't matter and the players just do what they want to do.
0: Yeah, because even like Dame, people are saying, he's a good player, but can we ever consider him great? And I'm like, what? basketball have you been watching for the last seven years like Damian Lillard is a great player he he is a great great player so to sit to sit there and say because he stayed in Portland his whole career and he probably will never win a ring that doesn't make him a great player I, again like you said Carmelo people are saying that he's not an all-time great player because he didn't win a, it's just like I don't understand the goalpost moving and why everything changes for everybody now I'm not trying to say that these guys are, are the greatest of all time. Again, which you and I have talked about multiple occasions is a dumb argument anyway, but just to say someone's not an all time great player. I don't also don't like how people try to diminish players to make another player better. Like I, it it, anyway. All right, let's get out of this all-star talk and move on to after the all-star break and what's happened in the NBA so far. So, uh, for those of you who don't know the Hawks fired their head coach, uh, McMillan, and you know, I feel like he never gets a a good rep at any place he's been, even though he makes them fight and, and become better teams. Uh, and they quickly hired, um, the old Utah Jazz head coach, Snyder. So, um, which, I'm not going to get into... I normally always harp on these, so I'm not going to do it this time, Julius. I'm not... I'm just going to... Everyone, if you've listened to the podcast, you know this is normally the thing that I would harp on for a long time, so I'm going to try and keep it short and sweet. Um, they probably did not do the correct hiring protocols. I'm not going to talk about it. This guy got a five-year deal. He's probably going to get a longer leash than McMillan did, which pisses me off, but I am going... I'm going to... Just keep it moving for the sake of the podcast and not get on my soapbox for another 20 minutes about why this is ridiculous. Um, Because with the Pacers, he didn't get a fair shot. With the Hawks, he didn't get a fair shot. You bring in DeJounte Murray to pair with Trey Young, get rid of a spacing guy like Herter, you change up the whole team dynamic and you want him to work magic in a tougher Eastern Conference than it was when y'all went to the finals. But anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm not getting into it. So... Um, So, yeah, that's who they hired, Julius. What do you think of the hiring and the firing? Um, Like I said, I'm going to keep mine short because if I get into it, I'm going to get into it. So I'm going to let you talk about what the Hawks are doing down there in Atlanta.
1: Uh, Well, you know, it just goes to show how quickly things can change. Uh, A couple years ago, Nate McMillan comes in for Lloyd Pierce, another black coach. And at the time McMillan comes in, the Hawks are 14 and 20. They're going nowhere. And they go from that to the Eastern Conference Finals, like you said, under Nate McMillan. That wasn't 10 years ago or five years ago. It's two years ago. And so you have McMillan coming in and having an impact, cleaning some things up, holding some players accountable, which is apparently something you can't do nowadays. Again, it just speaks to the lack of competitive freedom. We keep coming back to that. But so now you have this season. And this is where I say that we're at a point now where we're chasing names too much. We briefly talked about this before the season started that Trey Young and DeJounte Murray—that That is a fun combination if you're playing NBA 2K and the Hawks are the team you're going to use to go through your franchise mode. Things have to happen in real life. And I feel like these GMs now, they're just throwing names together and feeling like, oh, that that should should improve our 2K overall. So now we should be a championship team. We got got DeJounte Murray. He's a bigger name, bigger star than somebody like Kevin Herter. We should be good to go. So you have this odd fit. And, you know, both of those guys are putting up numbers, but you got to remember the rest of the team is a factor. And there's certain things that didn't happen this year. Onyeka Kongwu was expected to take a step forward. We haven't seen that. There was hope DeAndre Hunter might take a step forward. We haven't seen that. Bogdan Bogdanovich was coming off an injury, and he's taking time to, to get into a rhythm this year, and he's been up and down all season. I don't know how much of this you blame on Nate McMillan, but apparently they were ready to go. And the disappointment for me in this is it sounds like this was a player-driven move. And that's what's disappointing for me. You know, you and I have never shied away from this, you know, talking about the fact that even though in the NFL and the NBA, the majority of players are black by a wide margin. It's a struggle to find black coaches and particularly black coaches that actually end up with, with good jobs. You know, it's one thing to get the Houston Texans job or the Orlando magic job, but to get good jobs. So when you see a coach in that place and you see the players just not have an appreciation for how hard it is for a coach to get a decent job in these leagues, it's disappointing. It sounds like it was Trey Young kind of leading the way to get McMillan out of there again because he didn't like being held accountable. John Collins kind of referenced that Nate McMillan, quote, might be better for older players. Oh, well, what, is that? what does that mean? Again, it just it just sounds like, well, we're young. We don't want to be held accountable. We only want to be told good things about ourselves. You got a losing record. <laughs> it, it, it can't be all sunshine and daisies every time he talks. So now we bring in Quinn Snyder, who, unlike Nate McMillan, Quinn Snyder has never been to a conference final. Now, overall, Snyder does have a better winning percentage than McMillan. So you're Atlanta, you can justify it with that. The fact that Quinn Snyder has already signed for a five-year deal, I believe $8 million a year, that lets me know this deal was in place before McMillan ever got fired. That bothers me as well, that you're going to backdoor your coach like that in the middle of the season. And, you know, if, if I'm a player, I'm paying attention to that. Because if, if a team can turn their back on a coach in the middle of the season, why can't they do it to you? You know, this is a team that's already looked at trying to trade John Collins. So, you know you think the the team has your back, but you need to be paying attention to what the team is doing to the people around you. So, overall I just I don't I don't like how they went about this. Quinn Snyder's a decent coach. I don't want to disparage him in any way. Is it going to help them? Maybe. You know, one of the first games after Navy Miller was fired, Trey Dunn get a game winner. That's before Quinn Snyder got there. But I guess Trey Young now is is happy and free to play his game or do whatever it is. So we'll see how that continues once Snyder steps in. Does he step in and just let the players run everything? I hope not, because that was what Steve Nash did, and we saw where that got him. But if and when Snyder puts his foot down, are the players gonna want him out? If so, not gonna be so easy to get rid of a guy. We just signed a five year deal. And if you're Trey Young, you're supposed to be a superstar. People have kind of forgotten about Trey Young a little bit this year. You didn't see him in all star games this year, like we have starting all-star games in years past. Trey Young, this is your third coach. And you have not been in the league five years. At some point, people are gonna start looking at you. So if you're gonna keep getting black coaches fired. Now that you got what you want, apparently, it's up to you to make this happen. Now Atlanta better start winning some games. Now, making it to the second round of playoffs is not good enough anymore. You can, you got to prove that this was a worthwhile move. So again, I don't like how the Hawks went about their business here. They, again, Snyder is a solid coach. I got nothing against him. But they're, they're going to have to prove some things. I, I I don't like how they went. Don't like how they went about this, but yeah. Now, like I said, Atlanta and specifically Trey Young and whichever other players didn't like being held accountable. Now here's the chance.
0: Why is it? This is I, I will touch on this slightly because I'm going to make a point here. Why is it black coaches are too hard on play? You hear the same thing about Eric bien and that's why he left the Chiefs to go take a shit off the coordinator job with the commanders <laughs> to prove he can be a head coach and i know he's saying that that's not why he did it but that's why he did it because how come every other white offensive coordinator under Andy Reid can go get a head coaching job or quarterback's coach but mm-hmm. Eric Bieniemy isn't good enough as a we need to, we need more we need to prove more or you always heard players didn't like him because he was too hard on them in in meetings when when did when did coaching become i'm just going to tell you what you want to hear i'm not your agent I'm yeah, not. I'm buddy, not this, I'm not your fan. I'm your coach. I'm. I'm telling you what you need to do to be better. I don't understand why players think they're the best thing in the world and they know everything to do. If you knew everything to do, you wouldn't need coaches. I just half of
1: them don't think they do. Unfortunately.
0: Well, yeah, but <laughs> yeah, that's true. But anyway, I just don't like that. It's always the black coaches that you hear these rumblings and rumors from the players that they're too hard on me or or it's it's hard to be coached by him or, or the way he talks to me. Like, all these things that, like, if I ever said that about my coach when I was coming up in the AAU circuit in PG County, do you know what would have happened to me as a white male in the AAU circuit of PG County if you're being too hard on me? Come on, man. Like, get, um, I can't even, you know.
1: It, it, it wouldn't be much better if you're a light-skinned guy in PG County saying that. <laughs> I would have been off
0: the team. They, they would have, they would have, they would have fired me with the quickness, even they can't fire a ten and eleven year old. But I would have been off the team immediately. I would have got zero minutes, and I would have ran wind sprints all practice. They would have been suicide drills, man. That would have been awful. But um, yeah, I don't like the way they went about it. Uh, Snyder also. Is the reason why the Jazz blew up their entire team and went in a different direction because he couldn't get it done in the playoffs. And, you know, some of that's on Donovan Mitchell. A lot of people are looking at him to see what he's going to do with the Cavs this year when they make the playoffs. Is he going to fold in the playoffs again like he was doing with the Jazz? Or is it going to, or that's, that's, you don't really know where to place the blame, right? People, some people blame Snyder, some people blame Donovan Mitchell and, and the rest of the Jazz. So, um, this is an interesting hire because uh, it's not like he's done much better as a head coach. Again, Regular season record, sure, but um, mm-hmm. again, anyway, so um, we kind of touched on this when we we're talking about the All-Star game, but I just want to hit on it again because I think it's something to, to touch on. You talked about uh, Con Sexton after participating in the skills challenge. He <laughs> sat the next game. Um, I have a problem with Dame, you know, three-point contest playing in the All-Star game, shooting 23s in the All-Star game, and then sitting out the very next game, which was four days after the All-Star game. Um I guess it worked cuz he dropped 71 the game after but still like how can you participate all All-Star weekend get 3 4 days off and then still sit it, it just things like that make me mad about the NBA and 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 we can talk about load management I mean that's could be a 5 hour podcast um but I'll just touch on some things you know they need to figure something out with this load management thing and and I'm not even going to go from a fan standpoint I'm not even going to go from any of that I'm just going to say from an, from an NBA, you know, organizational, uh, sales business standpoint, you need your players to play, you know, people are buying season tickets, people are buying regular game tickets, but like there's games on the weekdays when people work and people can't get the games, but people go out of their way to spend this money to go see a team play on like a Tuesday night, right? That's not always easy for everyone. Um, that's not going to keep happening. I know I know these owners think that people are just going to keep putting money into the team because historically that's happened. look at the commanders. their team's been trash for 20 years and the owner sucks and they still sell out every year. They didn't happen this last year, which finally but um, you know but people are going to eventually stop giving you money and and if you look back at the 90s and early 2000s and and all that stuff, players were playing and they weren't getting injured as much without and they've talked about this on ESPN and all these other websites so I'm not gonna touch on But like you can just go back and look at the and I know they're saying that's all about player safety but there were people who played 82 games a year and and 40 minutes a year a game and 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 didn't have as many injuries And, and and so you have to you can't just say I'm sitting out to help my body out when there's also data that suggests the more you play and the more you work those muscles out, you will be okay. So, again, I know guys are jumping higher and are stronger and have more weight and things, so I'm not saying like someone who has chronic knee problems like a, or a foot problems like Zion kind of because he's so big and he's landing on all that weight and things like that. I'm not saying like maybe they don't need to be load managed, but not everyone needs to be load managed. So, yeah.
1: So someone's got to show me an example of load management actually helping, <laughs> because everybody who's notorious for the no load managing now is still getting hurt. And when load management started up, it started up with the Spurs, and you know that's that's another thing we can't can't blame LeBron. Okay, you know, the, the Spurs started it, but the Spurs started it when their guys were old and multi-time champions. So I've said this on a previous podcast, and I'll say it again. LeBron James, 38 years old in his 20th season. Chris Paul is 37 years old in his 18th season. Those guys want to sit out a game? I'm fine with that, because they earned that right. Like, they, they have 10. But I'm seeing Stephen Curry get load managed and still get injured. I'm seeing Zion Williamson get load managed and still pull his hamstring. I'm seeing Giannis Antetokounmpo get load-managed and then fall into the stanchion and sprain his wrist. Who, who is this helping? It's not helping anybody. And, you know, to make matters worse with it, 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 you're already disappointed as a fan because it's not like these are announced in advance most of the time. You get to a game, and then you realize the, the guy you came to see isn't playing. And then you hear people say, well, they should just load-manage at home. Okay, why? Just because they're at home, that means if, if a fan can go see them multiple times? No. Yeah, I, I may live five minutes away, but this might be the one chance I get to go to the game, whether it's for monetary reasons, whether it's because of my schedule, whatever the case may be. This might be the one time I can go. So I don't like the idea of load managing at home either. If you're physically capable of playing, it's not too much to ask for you to play. That was never too much to ask before especially with players in their prime. So I don't understand it. I'll never understand it, never be able to relate to it. You talked about Damian Lillard. You know, they said there was an issue with the, the flight for the Trailblazers, and they got in late or whatever the case was. So that's why they rested, and they put rest. It's I mean, at least had a decency to make something up. <laughs> that's, that's my thing. Put put shoulder to the night is something, something to make us feel a little bit better. But you put rest on the injury report, not only for Damian Lillard, but for Jeremy Grant. How is he getting rest? Jeremy Grant didn't play the week before the All-Star break. And he needs more rest? Because the plane's late? No. And if 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 the plane being late has that much of an impact on Damian Lillard and Jeremy Grant, forfeit the game. Give everybody money back and forfeit the game. How there's not enough rest for these two players, but yet everybody else is rested enough to play who won the same flight is beyond me. What are we doing? It's it's the absolute worst problem. The league, there there are options to fix this. The league's just not going to do them. Okay, now you can't make somebody play. You can't make anybody, anybody do anything. You can't make an adult do anything. So I'm not saying you can make them play. But... You could say everybody in attendance gets 50% off these tickets. You could do that. The league won't, but they can. The league could say, we're not going to guarantee these contracts. We'll guarantee them like 80%, 70%. Then the rest of it depends on how much you play when you're healthy. They could do that. They won't. Everything that makes sense to do, everything that they would do if they cared at all about the fans, they're not going to do. So it, it just is what it is. But the thing is, it's always been that way. The difference now, and I'll say it again, is the lack of competitive pride. Back in the day, you would not have been able to tell a star player you're sitting out today even though you feel great. And when I say back in the day, because again, everybody's going to assume I'm talking about just Michael Jordan or just the 80s or just the 90s. No. No. Tell Kobe Bryant in 2006, you're sitting tonight just because. Let's see how that conversation goes. Tell Paul Pierce, you're sitting tonight because we played last night. Tell him that in 2004, 2007, and see how that conversation would go. Tell Kevin Garnett in his prime, in 2003, when he's winning MVP. Tell tell him you're sitting tonight for no other reason than you just played too many minutes late. It would never happened Because those players still had pride. So I'm not saying just 30 years ago, 15 years ago, there was more pride than this. Now, guys are just chilling. Guys are happy to show off whatever outfit they got. They're on the bench laughing and dancing, but they're too tired to play. I I just can't get with it.
0: Yeah, could you imagine the Detroit Pistons with Rip, Chauncey Billups, Rasheed Wallace, Ben Wallace, all of them taking like, Hey, y'all are gonna sit tonight. That never would have happened. Like, I mean, there's just so <laughs> many examples. Like, can you even think about guys like Brandon Roy who wish he could have more time in the NBA? Like, you couldn't and that guy had degenerative knees. Like, you couldn't tell that man he wasn't playing. Like, it's it's just a different it's just a different breed of people, man. That's just what it is. Um but moving on, let's keep let's get some more topics in the NBA. Um Joyce, let's, let's talk about defense. And let's talk about defense in the NBA and and where is it? You know, what what is it gone? Is defense gone from the modern NBA? That's the question people want to know. Is is the defense gone from modern NBA, or is it just we ain't gonna try and stop you, but we're gonna we're just gonna score more. Um you're seeing a lot more 33 point 43 point attempts from teams and games than you ever have. Mm. Um, And I bring up, we bring up this question uh, mainly because of the Rockets and what has happened to them recently and recent memory, but they're not even the worst defensive team in the league. But on Friday, they let clay Thompson go for 42 with 12, three pointers. They follow that amazing performance up with Damian Lillard getting 71 on Sunday with 13, three pointers. So, Clearly they're not guarding guards. <laughs> if you're a guard, no. you're you're having a day against the against the Rockets. Um people may say that it's because they're tanking, et cetera, et cetera. Sure, why not? But again, they're not even the worst defensive team in the league. So um again, if you're just a guard against, going against the Rockets, you're dropping crazy buckets. Um, so ask Tyler Hero. He dropped 41 on them. So um Yeah, Damian, where, where uh, where's Damian Lillard again? 71 on Sunday, 13. 13 three pointers. He shot like 69% from the field. It wasn't even like he threw up 80 shots to do it. it I mean, it was very efficient, 71 points. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I, you know, and I know rule changes, you know, this and that, and the three point line, and people being able to shoot, you know, half court shots with ease, quote unquote. Um, but, I just I just don't think defense is a thing anymore. And, and and I say that I'm not saying that there is no defense. I don't want people to think that I don't think defense is played because they're still block shots, they're still playing the passing lane. But most guys aren't up in someone's hip anymore. Most guys are as you said, I think most guys are scared to to get remember when people used to be scared to get put on posters because they were getting dunked on? I think guys are more scared to get a three-pointer drained in their face, so they kind of sit back on guys and give them a little bit more room. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I I don't see defense really being anyone's calling card anymore. That, again, the Pistons won championships. I'm not even talking about the bad boy Pistons. and I'm talking about recent Detroit Pistons. Um, San Antonio Spurs played really good defense when they were winning championships. So Yeah. Um, mm-hmm you know it's just and that wasn't that long ago like it just you know the bucks the bucks play good defense when they won their championship so um it's interesting to see teams that you know the, again it's kind of modern nba has kind of turned into like an all like like an old school all-star game right like The first three quarters are kind of whatever, and then we'll try to turn it up. We'll try to turn up the defensive intensity when the game's close, but I I don't know, man. I I know that they want it. Every sport wants more more points, more points, more points. That's what every sport wants, but at the end of the day, I I am not impressed because the reason most people don't score a lot is just because the player is off. They're just not making the shots. It's not because they're not getting open shots. It's just because they're just missing open shots, and and that's kind of boring for me to watch. I, I liked Kobe Bryant taking on the best player on the other team, getting up in his face, getting up in his pocket, picking him up at half court, um, barking at him, telling him you're not going to beat me today. And then if he scored on him, giving him a high five and like you got me, like like I I miss that competitiveness. Like um, I miss you know Michael Jordan doing it, Scottie Pippen, you know all those guys, Dennis Rodman. I miss I miss I miss the era where. Kevin Garnett, all those guys who who really wanted to play defense and 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 worked on it like it, like it was their craft. I, I miss I miss those days of of basketball.
1: Yeah, I, I miss defense, and I, I'm here to be one of those people to say, yeah, defense just isn't there anymore. Uh, you talked about the Rockets. The Rockets aren't even pretending. They're not even giving token defense. The Performance that Lillard had, the 71-point performance, that was the 13th time this year that someone scored 40 on the Rockets. And to your point, it's usually been guards. And it's not just that they're scoring 40 points. It's also, it's also the 22nd time that the Rockets have given up 35 points to an individual player, including three times to Luka Doncic by himself. But it's not just that you're giving up these 35- or 40-point games. So like I said, they've given up 40 points to a player 13 times this year. In eight of those 13 games, the player who scored 40 points also shot 60% from the field. And it would have been nine out of 13 because Lillard was over 60% for most of the game. He started jacking at the end of the game when he was trying to get to 70, so he missed a few shots. But for most of the game, he was well over 60% as well. At the time he had 40 points, he was well over 60% shooting. So, there's no resistance. There's no resistance going on with, with Houston. That was also the fourth time this year that the Rockets have given up 10 threes to one player, including twice to Klay Thompson. So, that lets me know you're not, even, you're not even trying to adjust. You're like, okay, he, he made the first eight three-pointers. Nah, sure, he'll miss this one. No competitive pride. And it's not just the Rockets. This season has already set the NBA record for most 40-point games in a single season. Now, you'll have some people who love all things modern, hate all things from the past. They'll tell you, Oh, yeah, all this scoring, that's not because guys aren't playing defense. It's just because these players that are just so skilled and so talented, there's just no answer for this anymore. Like I said, the record was just set. Most 40-point games in any NBA season. You want to know what year the previous record was from? 1961. 1961. Yeah, that era where y'all say it was nothing but Bill Russell and a bunch of milkmen. That era has the second most 40-point performances. So it's not about skill unless you want to sit here and say 1961 players are more skilled than 2001 players. Do you want to say that, or do you want to retract your statement? That's what I thought. This isn't about more skill. And it's not to say that the players aren't skilled. It is to say that every rule change is made to favor the players on offense, to favor offense. You combine that with the fact that there's a lack of competitive pride. Nobody wants to take on the other team's star if they're a star player. It's always, you know, some Patrick Beverly type that's got to guard the best player instead of the best players guarding each other. That's contributing to this. This is the first time in NBA history we've had multiple players score 70 points in a game in the same season. And it's a shame that because, you know, at one point, if a guy scored 70 points, you remembered that forever because you're like, we would never see this again. That's what it felt like in the moment. Now, it's like, you know, who, who's going to score 70 points next week? <laughs> that, that That's where we are now. And when you look around the league, the thing is this, again, when I say defense is gone, people immediately think, oh, he wants it to be like it was in the 80s and 90s where everybody was getting clotheslined. First of all, it's not a game was played back then. Jordan rules weren't applied to everybody. Every team didn't play like the Pistons' bad boys. And by the way, I hated Bill Laimbeer when I was watching the game back in the day. So I'm not saying I want the game played like that. I just want the game played the way it was 10 years ago when people were still at least trying on defense. Damian Lillard is averaging a career high this year, by far. And he's been in the league long enough. When he played, when they tried to play defense, and when they did try to play defense, he was about a 25, 26, 27-point-a-game guy. Very good. We know Damian Lillard can ball. Now, it's up to 32 a game, because that's what Damian Lillard can do to you when you're not going to play defense at all. Damian Lillard is 32 years old and is having the best offensive season of his career. That is because of a lack of defense. There is nothing different that Lillard is doing this year that we have not seen him do before. There is no defense. And when you look around the league, whether it's Jason Tatum, whether it's Joel Embiid, whether it's Shea Gilgis Alexander, whether it's Luka Doncic, all these guys are averaging career highs. LeBron James at 38 years old, is averaging more points than he has in any season since 2010. He is averaging more points this year than he ever averaged with the Heat or in the second run with the Cavaliers. That is because of a lack of defense. <laughs> We're not going to sit there and say LeBron's a better player now than he was 10 years ago or eight years ago. Certainly not but he's scoring more points because it's easier. (laughs) Every piece of evidence shows you that it's much easier to score now in the NBA than it has been literally since 1961. There's There's a problem there for me. I don't like seeing it. I wasn't around in 1961. So this is the worst defense of my lifetime. And I don't see it going away because, again, outside of Russell Westbrook, people love stats. People love seeing the 40-point triple-doubles. People love seeing guys go for 50, 60, 70 points seemingly every other night. So this isn't going away. And, you know, again, I I hate to see it, but to answer your initial question, you asked where defense is, it is gone. I am willing to say it. You got a handful of guys to take pride in defense. A Jose Alvarado, for instance, can make the league as a defender, but you still better be able to make threes and do other stuff. If you're Matisse Thibault and all you bring to the table is defense, you're not going to get consistent playing time on a good team because we don't care about that.
0: Tony They're Allen to shoot threes. Tony They're Allen to score. Tony Allen would not be in the league today if if he, if he if he if he tried to play in this area, he wouldn't be in the league.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, I had to say it, but somebody like Ben Wallace might not be in the league today <laughs> because he can't shoot threes. He can't pass from the foul line. So he's out of there. Dikembe. Dikembe. No chance. I mean, if you go even, Robin. No, No thanks.
0: If you look back at some of those teams, too, like the Nets team with Jason Kidd, they didn't have great scores, but they had great defense. That's how they made the two finals back to back, you know? um again we talked about the pistons already we talked about the spurs like it was just i don't know even the even the grizzlies i know they never made a finals but like the the grindhouse gr- grizzlies like that's how that's where it came from the grit and grind like with gasol and conley and tony allen and all them and, and Zebo, like all those guys like they were all good at defense and team defense like the bulls back when they had derrick rose that was one of their things like defense with Jimmy Butler and Joe Kim Noah and all you know I'm saying like there was teams that like when you went up against them you're like man it's gonna be a long night right like that was you don't have that anymore you don't have that in the league anymore even like the kings that are in third place in the west right now they're like the fifth worst defensive team in the league they're like ranked 26th or 7th or something defensively but because they score more which I understand that's the game basketball you gotta score more to win but that's how they're they're with third in the west it's just like there is no more defense anymore. There's no there's not one team besides maybe the Miami Heat this year, whose offense struggles at times that is a like they're winning games based on their defense. Like that might be the one team I can think of that comes to mind that like they're winning games scoring a hundred points per game. You, you know what I mean? Like that's the one team I can think of.
1: Yeah, like like those teams you mentioned, the the Bulls teams with Joe Kim Noah and guys like that the Grindhouse Grizzlies with Marcus Gasol. You know, these, these are teams from, again, 10, 12 years ago. We're not talking about going back 30 or 40 years. Mm, not at all. We're going back to earlier in some of these players' careers <laughs> and saying bring back that defense at least. But it's not going to happen. No.
0: All right, well, let's talk about some of these new look teams and, and kind of what's going on around the NBA and and finish this up. Uh, so um, everyone's you know favorite new duo Kyrie and and Luca um, just gave up a twenty point lead, twenty plus point lead to the Lakers the other night. Um, was not a good look. Uh, Mark Cuban was not happy. That's he's a meme right now. Um, unfortunately, that is a game that LeBron James hurt his foot. And it seems he is going to miss close to the remainder of the season, which stinks because they said he's going to be out a minimum a few weeks. Uh, There still hasn't been confirmed how long he's going to be out. He's getting extra looks, but there's only like 20 games left in the season. So if he's going to be out a few weeks, that's missing multiple games. And they need to, they're not in the playoff hunt yet. So, I mean, they're right there for the 10th seed, but got to win games. Um, So that's a big loss for the Lakers uh Nazal Russell's also out with an ankle injury so it's up to AD and and the other guys they got with Beasley and Vanderbilt to 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 hold the fort down if the Lakers want to even have a chance to to make the playoffs but um the Mavs are going to take some time to gel they've had some some mishaps in late game situations with Luka and Kyrie but Um, we knew that was going to happen. We knew that the Mavs defense was going to not be good. And we just, they need to outscore people. So when they're not hitting shots, things like giving up a 20 plus point lead to the Lakers is going to happen. Um, yeah, so that's, I mean, but I think the Lakers need to be more concerned about this LeBron injury because, uh, if he's going to be out for a few weeks and possibly a month that, that is going to hurt, hurt, hurt that team.
1: Yeah, I mean it it sucks, right? I mean, again, no matter how you may feel personally about LeBron James, if you're a fan of sports, if you're a fan of basketball, you should want to see the greatest players out there. And to not have LeBron James out there when he's having such an epic season for a guy in his 20th year at 38 years old, it's just it's just disappointing. It's disappointing. And you know, it, it puts the Lakers in a tough spot, but hey, Everybody's been celebrating and crowning the Lakers after the trade deadline because they, they, they got rid of the problem. They brought in players who people haven't watched all year, but are now great players. You no know Jared Vanderbilt had a great game against Dallas. Now all of a sudden he's everybody's pick play defensive player of the year because it's the first time they've seen him play. <laughs> so, Now we're at a point where this trade is really going to get put to the test because those are the guys, Vanderbilt, Beasley, D'Angelo Russell when he gets back, Rui Hachimura, who's been kind of forgotten ever since, again, ever since they traded away the problem. Rui Hachimura has been forgotten about, but he's a mid-season acquisition as well. These are the guys who are going to have to get the job done. And let's not forget about Anthony Davis. There was a whole segment on first take today where they talked about who is the most overlooked superstar in the league or something like that. And they everybody said Damian Lillard, Damian Lillard. First of all, I just want to take this aside. I need y'all to make up your mind about Damian Lillard. One day you're mad because they included him on the 75 all time great list. The next day, You say he doesn't get enough credit. Which one is it? One day you're mad because he won't leave Portland and and create a super team. The the next you're giving him credit for being loyal. Make your mind up on Damian Lillard. Make your mind up on what you want to be mad about. But to answer that question as far as who the most overlooked superstar is, I, I think it's Anthony Davis. People forget at the time he got traded to the Lakers, Anthony Davis was in the discussion for best player in the league. I'm not saying he was the best player, but he was in that discussion and clearly a top five player at worst. He gets to the Lakers at a time where they are a losing team. Okay? 37 wins before he got there. He gets them to a championship. Again, LeBron James led the way, but Anthony Davis, you're not winning that championship without Anthony Davis in this win against Dallas, 30 points, 15 rebounds. Fourth time in the last six games, he's had at least 15 rebounds. Fifth straight game with multiple blocked shots. Let's not forget how much of a defensive menace Anthony Davis is. Anthony Davis this season, more points per game and more rebounds per game than Nikola Jokic. Anthony Davis this season, better field goal percentage and more blocks than Joel Embiid on a per-game basis. Those are two guys who, for most people, are one and two in the MVP run. And Anthony Davis' numbers fit in just fine with both of them. And that's with playing with LeBron. So you're not the focal point most of the time. So, you know, Anthony Davis is going to be judged based on what happens here without LeBron James Is he dealing with his foot injury. But I just, I just want to remind people Anthony Davis, pretty decent player. You know, people just want to make fun of him for missing games, like the whole league isn't doing that. But Anthony Davis, when he's out there, he's a monster. And if there's any silver lining to seeing LeBron go down, again, you don't want to see you guys get injured at all, ever. And I hope LeBron can safely beat the timetable. I want him to rush back and hurt himself again, but safely beat the timetable. But the one silver lining from this is. Anthony Davis now has an opportunity to remind people just who he is. As for the Mavericks, this was a game where Luka Doncic had five assists and six turnovers. Nobody cares because he's Luka Doncic. You know, you'd care if, if certain other players had five assists and six turnovers. Not Luka, fan favorite. Dallas is now one in three when they have Luka and Kyrie in the lineup together. Now the one win is against the Spurs, who defend even worse than the Houston Rockets somehow. So you can't take much from that. I, I can gather a few of my friends, and we, we could drop 100 on the Spurs the way they're playing defense right now. But Dallas' three losses with Luka and Kyrie, two losses are by three points, including the one to the Lakers, and then you have an overtime loss. So in each loss, Dallas has been right there in the end. And they just have to figure that last part out. I said at the time they're gonna, they going to—they made this trade, you know, when people said, oh, this is going to be seamless, uh, you don't know what you're talking about, Luka and Kyrie are going to be unstoppable. I said it's going to take time because they're both going to have to adjust their games, especially Luka. Because as I keep trying to explain to people, Luka is used to, whether he's playing in the NBA or playing with this national team in Slovenia, whatever Luca is used to, I hold the ball for 22 seconds. And then at the last second, I decide if I'm gonna drive, shoot a three or a kick out to somebody that's going to go and catch and shoot or throw out of you. There's never been a time that we've seen Luca just kind of let somebody else make a play. Now he's got somebody who can make their own offense. He's got somebody else because he's had guys. Have you watched Jalen Brunson at all this year? Maybe Luca should have gave him the ball a little more. Spencer did, he can make plays. Luca wouldn't give him the ball because that's just not his style of play. But now you got Kyrie. Now you got to make it work because if you can't make it work with Kyrie, Kyrie can leave this year, and nobody's gonna want to play with Luca. So Luca knows this, and I think that's causing hesitance at the end of games because he's fighting between how he's used to playing, which is I dominate the ball versus I've got to show that I can play nice so I can keep getting teammates at the caliber of Kyrie Irving. So that dynamic is going to take some time to develop. Now, when when Kyrie first got to Dallas, Luka was dealing with an injury. The, The game before Luka and Kyrie made their debut together, the Mavericks had a game against the Kings. Mavericks won that game against a quality Kings team. In that game, seven Mavericks scored in double figures. They were a balanced team without Luka and with Kyrie leading the way. You're not going to get seven guys in double figures every time with Luka and Kyrie both having their high usage games, but you have to have some of that balance. You look at some of their box scores, since they play together, you'll see they take a lot of shots. Christian Woods getting his shots normally and then maybe one other person is invited to the party. Josh Green, one game. Tim Hardaway Jr., one game. But you're seeing other guys, the same guys that contributed to that win over the Kings, be locked out of the offense because there's just not enough to go around after Luka and Kyrie are done. So they're going to have to figure it out. I think they can. It's going to take time. It's going to take, obviously, more than four games, and people will give them grace because people want to see this Luka and Kyrie thing work but it's going to take some patience
0: here. Yeah, just moving on throughout the NBA, uh, just this last weekend and, and post-All-Star game, uh, Jokic, as we you talked about with triple-doubles, he dropped a 40-point triple-double on the Nula Clippers. Um, so that was fun for them. I think three Nuggets actually had triple-doubles, which is just insane. Um, we also have the Bucks on a 14-game winning streak, and, and they've got some Ws without Giannis. And uh, to talk about the Kings, because you kind of touched on them and said that they're a quality team and getting wins, I just wanted to take a moment to give a shout out to Mike Brown, who took over a Kings team. I know it's not the same Kings team that was there when Luke Walton was there, but took over a Kings team that was kind of underperforming, and I know they made this a bonus trade, and they got hurt and they got some other guys on the team, but um, Mike Brown was, oh, LeBron made him a good coach. Oh, he sat behind Steve Kerr on the Warriors bench. Oh, The only reason he's coaching good is because he's on the Warriors and they got Steve Kerr's thing in place. Well, shout-out to Mike Brown, who has the Kings first in the division and third seed in the West, which no one saw coming this this year. If anyone told me the Kings were going to be third in the West, I would have laughed at you in the preseason. Um, So I just want to give a shout-out to Mike Brown. I feel like he's never gotten his due as a coach, um, and I'm just happy for him. Uh, being able to show that he is a good coach and 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 you know kind of just showing out up there in Sacramento.
1: Uh, definitely, and that that's been one of the best stories of the year. Uh, we talk about how the league, the NBA, doesn't have a whole lot of parity. You go into most years knowing who's going to be good, who's going to be bad, who's trying to tank. And like you said, the Kings. Maybe there were a few people out there that thought the Kings could sneak in, maybe get to the play-in, maybe work their way up to a sixth seed if they got really lucky and everything broke right. And even when they got off to a a hot start, you're still just kind of waiting for the Kings. Oh, they'll cool off at some point, and it's just not happening. So credit to them. Uh, De'Aaron Fox, by the way, another guy averaging a career high another guy shooting a career high percentage from the field. Again, some of that is props to the De- Fox for working on this game. A lot of that is it's easier now to score than it's been in the last 50 years. So you got a combination of that going on, but again, credit to De'Aaron Fox He even has a career high in uh free throw percentage this year. So, so he's been in the lab. He's been in the lab. There's no rule change that makes free throws easier. So I got to give him his credit. And, uh, Just want to shout out uh, Keegan Murray as well. Uh, Keegan Murray needs 44 more three-pointers over the Kings' last 22 games to set the rookie record for most three-pointers in the season. Simple math here. 44 threes in 22 games. That's two threes a game if he plays every game. Right now, he averages two and a half threes a game. So the record is in reach for Keegan Murray. So I'll, I'll be watching that over the last... Uh, quarter of the season for the Kings as well to see if Keegan Murray can go ahead and get that record, but um, yeah, with with Murray providing that shooting as a rookie on the outside, uh, Demontis Sabonis has been kind of Nikola Jokic light, you know, a guy who's a triple double threat every night. He's not a dynamic scorer, particularly in this offense. He's more of a guy that's going to get around 15 or so uh, while they kind of spread the wealth, but uh, with Sabonis kind of being that guy in the middle who can pass. Find guys open, kind of help, help out with the playmaking, so it's not all on Fox's shoulders. It, it's been a great fit in Sacramento, and that that's one of those trades that I have to say again, I I would have hated to give up give up Tyrese Halliburton. I don't think I could have done it personally, but that Halliburton for Sabonis trade is the rare trade that seems to be working out pretty well for both teams. So, now the Kings have that going. They've got other players who can chip in with some offense here and there. Harrison Barnes. Kevin Herter, despite what he showed, the three-point shootout is, is giving them good floor spacing and, and solid offense. And, of course, Malik Monk, he's a wild card off the bench. You never know what you're going to get from him. But uh, as the Clippers found out, he can get very hot at times. He's as streaky as it gets. But when he gets it going, this Kings offense is really a problem. So uh, shout-out to the Kings for sure.
0: Yeah, and just looking at the standings, um, the East, I think, is just going to, I mean, the- whoever makes the play-in for the East is not going to be a good team. So right now the 10th, 9 and 10 is held by the Raptors and the Wizards, um, and you—and I know that's not the only play-in, but I mean, I'm talking about the very last play-in, because if you're 7 or 8 and you lose, you still have another chance, so, um, but just to go 7 through 10, you got Heat, Hawks, Raptors, Wizards, so Raptors and Wizards, uh, not very good teams, um, you know, the Raptors aren't a bad team, but I'm I i do not think anyone's worried about them pl- come playoff time. And right behind the Wizards, you got the Bulls, the Pacers, and the Magic. So, um Yeah, the East last play-in games are probably not gonna be very exciting. Um, but for the West, man, right now in the playing games, you got seven Golden State, eight Utah, nine, Timberwolves, ten Pelicans, and then right behind them is the Blazers, Lakers, and Thunder. So um again, it's gonna be interesting in the west um again you got nuggets one grizzlies two kings three sons four clippers five mavericks six so again a lot of star power a lot of names over in the west how will these teams gel um that's kind of what i'm looking forward to seeing for the rest of the season uh everyone says all the coaches all the players that kind of after the all-star break is when you kind of like if you know you're in it you kind of turn up the intensity if you know you're going for a draft pick, you kind of start mailing it in, which the Spurs and Rockets have already been doing. So, um, oh, yeah. and the Pistons too, but that should be a fun mm-hmm. race for uh, best odds. Uh, but the Spurs, yeah. Spurs on a 16 game losing streak. So they're, they're really trying their hardest to, to not win any games. Um, but uh, anyway, so that's what I'm looking forward to most Julius with the coming up in the NBA season is just how the West is going to play out. I mean, the east kind of has their team sets so it'll be interesting seeing see if the nets fall ever after all the trades um you know they were they were trying to be competitive after the trades but in reality they've been really bad um since all the trades but so they'll probably drop back too but well do they have enough games won already to to just sneak into the play-ins we'll see um but i'm not really too concerned about the east you kind of know how it's going to shake out there's really like Four teams that could really make a lot of noise, in my opinion, in the playoffs. I know people are high on the Knicks, um, and people think the Heat made enough moves to kind of get it done. I'm looking at Bucks, Celtics, 76ers as my three teams, uh, and I do think the Cavaliers could make noise in the playoffs just because I do like that roster. Um, But for me, the West is wide open. Um, I think anyone one through realistically depending on who gets into the final two playoff games I, anyone right now for me one through seven could could win right um so it, though i'm real interested to see how the west shakes out and plays out and then who gets into the play in games and then who gets that seventh and eighth seed uh because if you're the nuggets at one or your grizzlies at one or even the kings at one depending on how this shakes out i don't want to see golden state or the lakers as the eighth seed personally uh, especially if you have healthy Anthony Davis, LeBron James, D'Angelo Russell. I don't think anyone wants to see that team if all three of those guys are healthy. Just like the Warriors, if you have a healthy Steph, Clay, Draymond, all those guys, um, with everything they've been through in the playoffs and they just know how to play playoff basketball, I wouldn't want to be the first or second seed getting, if they are the seventh or eighth, getting those guys first round. That would just, but I think the West is just going to be a bloodbath of a playoff. I'm real excited for it. So, like I said, that's what I'm looking forward to the rest of the season.
1: And with the West, to your point, the one thing I'd say about the Western Conference right now, you know, because I hear people making a big deal, all oh, the Lakers, they were the a 13 seed or whatever they were. I think they might be up to 11 or 12 now. Ignore ignore the seeds for now. I- ignore where somebody is in the standings because the West is that tightly packed. Mm-hmm. You can be the 12th seed and three games away from being the 5th or 6th seed. <laughs> like that, that's where we are now. So it's just going to be a matter of who gets hot. The matchups could be anything in the West based on what the standings look like right now. And like you said, there are going to be a lot of even matchups if if everybody's healthy. You know, of course, if guys aren't healthy, if, if Curry's still hurt, if Durant's not fully back, if LeBron's not fully back, you're, you're taking all that into account. But if, if they're all healthy, then like you said, the, the West could be... Epic as far as the type of showdowns we could see starting from the first round. Yeah. Uh, some things I wanted to get into uh, the bucks. Like you said, they're a 14 game win streak. Their longest winning streak. Any team has had this season. Uh, that winning streak does include wins against the top seed in the East Boston and in the West Denver. So they're not just beating up on the bums they' They're getting some quality wins in there. Uh, the last three games, Giannis has played nine minutes six minutes and not at all. So the bucks are getting it done even without their MVP and credit to drew holiday for the, for a lot of that Uh, holiday before January 16th was averaging 18.3 points a game. He scored 35 on January 16th, a game that Jonas didn't play in. And since then he's averaged 22.6 points a game. So he's, he's turned it up big time. Uh, to, to increase your scoring average by four points over that long of a stretch. That's that's pretty significant. It might not sound significant, but it is. Uh, the Bucs are 16-3 and three when Chris Middleton plays this year. But Chris Middleton is averaging a career low in field goals and three-point percentage and has really struggled to work his way back from various injuries, knee soreness, and all kinds of other stuff. Uh, off-season wrist, wrist surgeries, a lot going on with him but it just goes to show that sometimes those stats are deceptive. Again, there's 16 and three with Middleton plays and Middleton has not played well. Some people make jump to conclusions when teams do better or worse with a certain player, but you can't just go by that. But the bucks are playing well. You got Brooke Lopez, the only player in the league right now with a hundred threes and a hundred blocks. So a, a true three and D center. And uh, that, that's something that, it's good to see. And it's interesting because with all this load management, Brooke Lopez is a guy that hasn't load managed this year. I've, I've watched the Bucs play in person a couple times this year and have watched them load manage Giannis and other guys. Brook Lopez is always out there. And it's funny because he's older than all these guys. He's coming off of back surgery a year ago, and yet he's the guy that's always out there. So again, I'm not seeing where load management makes any type of sense, but it's good to see Lopez out there. I want to touch on the Clippers a bit. There uh, are more eyes are on them. There are already eyes because people want to see Kawhi Leonard fail. People want to laugh at Paul George playoff P. But now you add the most hated player in the league, Russell Westbrook, into the mix. And now you got a team that people are really going to want to see fail. So the Clippers have become the biggest heels of the league. They're going to be interesting to watch. In their last couple games, they lose a double overtime game, 176 to 175. Can anybody play defense, please? Somebody. And then they lose to the Nuggets in overtime, 134 to 124. Guess giving up 134 is better than giving up 176. But the Clippers are going to have to find defense at some point. In the last two games, the Aaron Fox, Malik Monk, and Nikola Jokic have all gone for 40 points on this defense. And this is supposed to be a team where your two best players are supposed to be top-notch 2A players. They made moves to bulk up and uh, get bigger in the paint. You got to stop somebody at some point. So the Clippers are going to have to figure it out. Russell Westbrook, so far, is so good. It hasn't been great, but Russell Westbrook, you got to understand, he's not a great player at this stage of his career. That said, Westbrook, since he joined the Clippers, 17 points, five rebounds, nine assists. That's what he's averaging, shooting 56% from the field. We know he's not going to keep that up, but he's been efficient so far. He's even been 100% from the free throw line, six for six. Since joining the Clippers. And that's been a real area of weakness for Westbrook in recent years. So he's playing well. But again, the spotlight is always gonna be on him. The you know, five or six turnovers, you don't care if Luka Doncic gets, you care when Russell Westbrook gets those turnovers. And everybody kind of makes him the scapegoat. So Westbrook was bitched in overtime against Denver. And what happens? The Clippers get outscored 14 to 4 and lose without Westbrook, but somehow it's Westbrook's fault they lost that game. That's just how it goes when you're you're Russell Westbrook. But, you know, it it just is what it is. But the Clippers are going to have to figure out how to win and how to close out these games with Westbrook because, again, we just saw them try to close out a game without Westbrook, and it went pretty poorly. So you lost two games since you got Westbrook. You're 0-2 with them. Everybody's going to say it's all the Westbrook's fault. You lost to, again, the number one seed, Denver, the number three seed in Sacramento. Nobody's going to look at that. It just is what it is. I will say this about the game against Denver. Kawhi Leonard, everybody joked him. I heard all of you. After he played 46 minutes against Sacramento, everybody said, oh, he's going to be load managed for the next two weeks. What does he do? Come out and play 38 minutes against Denver. So again, you don't need to be load managed. Kawhi Leonard's out there. Kawhi Leonard will probably sit soon. They do have a back-to-back on March 2nd and 3rd against Golden State of Sacramento, both road games. So I expect Leonard to sit one of those games out because, you know, the train ride between uh, San Francisco and Sacramento is going to be too much, probably. But there's out there, more than people think. Again, there's people just going just based off of reputation and memes, but not looking at what actually happens. I will also say this about this game. Nikola Jokic, with one minute left in this game, had 40 points, 17 rebounds, and nine assists. Guess what he stayed in the game to do? Get that 10th assist in a game that has already been decided. Nobody cares, though, because it's Nikola Jokic. We love his triple-doubles. Doesn't matter how he gets them. Doesn't matter if he got a meaningless assist at the end of the game to get his 10th assist. You think he didn't know he needed one more assist? Of course he knew. They all know. Everybody who's good enough to pad their stats, pads their stats. So stop getting mad when one player does it and loving when every other player does it. Thank you very much. Last I want to touch on, Boston Celtics. They had a nice win over the weekend against Philadelphia, a great game. Uh, Jason Tatum with the game-winning three-pointer. Thought maybe Joel Embiid had tied it with a miracle three-quarter length three-pointer. But if if you saw his reaction, he reacted like somebody who knew the shot didn't count. Uh, But overall, great game. Uh, Jalen Brown led the Celtics with 26 points and three steals. Derek White had a plus-minus of plus 25 in the game, shot seven for nine. And that's the thing with Boston. Everybody knows Tatum and Brown are the guys— They're a perfect 1A, 1B mesh. They figured it out over the last couple years, whereas before, they kind of had that Luca and Kyrie thing where we're not sure if it's your turn or my turn. Now they seem to have settled into their roles, but now you have a Derek White or a Malcolm Brogdon or a Marcus Smart. You have these X-Factors who can come in and get you 20, 25 points with playing some sound defense, and if not score that much, at least hit a few big shots. I'm a little concerned about Boston in the middle. That's the Big concern for me. You've got Robert Williams III there. I love him, but you're one man deep as far as I'm concerned. Al Horford is a slick player. You know, he's a, he's a smart player at this point of his career. He's not the player he used to be. But Joel Embiid scored 41 on Boston, and it was a fraction of a second from being 44 and going to overtime. So there's concerns there. And again, uh, just, just Joel Embiid. He's averaging a career high. And, you know, you're not going to stop him from getting 30 points most nights, but you want to you try to keep him under 40. So if there's a concern for Boston, it's that they can get beat up a little bit in the middle, uh, especially because Robert Williams third, coming off the knee issues he's had in the past, is not going to be out there for 40 minutes a game. So what happens when you have to play Al Horford at center, Grant Williams at center, small ball, or something like that, or Patrick's uh, X factor Mike Muscala? What happens if you have to play these guys at center, for significant minutes defensively. But other than that, Boston looks like quite an impressive team.
0: If Embiid was the real MVP, he would have got that shot off on time. Pfft, terrible. <laughs> um no, good points, good points. Um yeah, and like I said for for Boston looks like the real deal again, but they 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 kind of fell apart in the finals last year. So I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they made it back. Their team is legit. Their team is solid. The Brogdon pickup is nice. Uh, Derek White is having an amazing season. Even when Brown and Tatum were out one one game, White dropped like 30 points. Brogdon dropped like 20 off the bench. Like They, they have a good, solid squad. So um, they're definitely not ones to mess with. Uh, if Middleton and Giannis are back healthy for the playoff run, with Drew playing the way he's playing, I'm glad you gave him a shout-out. Um, yep. With Drew playing the way he's playing, that team could be formidable as well um again the top of the east looks strong and in reality it's probably a three-team race but like i said i, I personally like the cavalier so i could see it being a four-team race but uh, the top of the east is is, is going to be a fun watch too once we get through either the hawks or wizards or raptors <laughs> or someone being the seventh and eight once we get through that you know trash it, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting interesting uh playoffs over there in the east um just moving on to things around the weekend that I saw. Uh, MLS season started. DC United got the opening win for the season at home. Uh, it was actually a really entertaining game. They were up one nothing, and then they got a penalty, and, and Toronto tied it up 1-1. Uh, Toronto ended up going up 2-1, and it's the 90th minute. With If people don't know soccer, the 90th minute is... Is is stoppage time, so you know they they score a, a game tying goal within the 91st minute, and and you're as a DC United fan just happy they're going to walk away with a draw, and then the 98th minute, boom, we get the game winning goal, we win 3-2 at home opening night, fans are going nuts, beers being thrown in the sky in a 20 degree weather, so um, <laughs> it was a it was just a crazy atmosphere, it was awesome to to, to watch. Um, And shout-out to my Maryland Terrapins college basketball team. They went 10-0 at home in the Big Ten. Um, I got to watch Senior senior Day for them. Um, Willard, in my opinion, should be the Big Ten Coach of the Year unless they falter in their last two games, which is on the road, so it could happen. Our road record has not been very good this year. Um, But to be projected to to get the 10th seed in the Big Ten and to be right now tied for second um, and holding the tiebreaker because we just beat Northwestern, in my opinion, Willer should be uh, coach of the year in the Big Ten. Um, it just an impressive thing he's done this year um, with with the Terrapins, and we're ranked we're 21st right now. Like I said, if we don't mess up with the two games down the stretch, we should have that second seed going into the Big Ten tournament, and hopefully we get a four or a three seed going into March Madness. Um, you know, I'm just excited to watch what these guys can do. Uh, because of COVID, I didn't get to watch them when they were going to have a high seed in the tournament that year, so. Hopefully this team can not be one and done or two games and done. Hopefully we can, you know, maybe get a sweet 16 run. Um, but I'm just excited for for Terrapin basketball this year.
1: Definitely agree with what you are saying about Maryland and, and Kevin Willard in particular. Um, I know Terps fans weren't really missing Mark Turgeon before the season, but now they're really not missing him with the way uh, that team has stepped up, especially the way they've played in College Park. So definitely got to give them credit. Uh, you know, certain teams choked at home in conference play over the weekend, but uh, Maryland wasn't one of those teams. And I'll, I'll leave the other team that did choke at home over the weekend unnamed for now. couple things I'm going to get into. Uh, one, I do want to touch on the Boston Bruins, been meaning to do this for a while. Uh, they are on pace to break the NHL basically best regular season ever, most wins and most points. Uh, For those who might not know, uh, with points, you get two points for a win. You get one point for a loss in overtime. No points for losing a regulation. And so when I say they're on a pace to get the most points in a season, that's what I mean. Most points in the standings uh, based on that formula I just gave you. So uh, the Bruins are playing some dominant hockey. And if it was a different team in a different sport being this dominant, they would get more credit, so I just want to shout them out. Uh, David Posternock has 42 goals this year, that's the second most that he's had in his career, only six away from a career high. So, barring unforeseen situations, he's going to have a new career high in goals scored. He's second only behind Connor McDavid in goals. And for those who don't know, in hockey, it's Connor McDavid and it's everybody else. Connor McDavid, you know, he didn't have a championship yet or anything, but he's LeBron James. Of this era of hockey, it, where you you just don't question who the best player of this generation is, it's Connor McDavid. So when you're second to him in anything, you're first among the mortals in your sport, basically. Uh, credit to Brad Marchand; he had double hip surgery in the off season. If he was an NBA player, he'd be getting load managed, probably would only play ten games this year. But because he's a hockey player, he's been out there every night. He's second on the team in scoring for the season, and he missed the first chunk of the season recovering from. Again, surgery on both hips. So credit to Marshawn for the season he's having. Uh, He's known as a brat or a jerk or whatever you want to say uh, in hockey circles. But outside of, you know, whether or not you like his demeanor, he's a great player. And uh, those Bruins, for any great team in hockey, you got to have great goaltending. The Bruins are getting that. Uh, Linus Olmark leads the NHL and goals against average. That's basically like ERA for a pitcher. Basically that you're giving up the least goals. Essentially. Uh, Allmark is the only goalie in the NHL right now to have a goals against average under two. That's a huge deal, especially in an era where again, we're seeing more offense in every sport. So to, to be down around one, eight, five in GAA in this era is amazing. And Jeremy Swayman, for, for those who don't know, most teams use two goaltenders. Uh, If you have a really good one, you'll use him most of the time, but you'll still use another goaltender on when you have back to backs or something like that, because goaltenders are playing way more per game than other players. So Jeremy Swayman gets a lot of run. He's sixth in the NHL in goals against average. So when you have two goalies in the top six, basically two of the top six goalies in hockey play for the same team, that means every night they're pretty much shutting your offense down. And just a couple of stats to reiterate how dominant the Bruins have been. They have a plus 95 goal differential this year. Nobody else is higher than plus 51. So so their their margin of how much better they are than everybody else is 44 points ahead of anybody else. That's how good they've been. The Bruins have a 13-point lead. Again, two points for a win, one point for an overtime loss, no points for a regulation loss. They have a 13-point lead in their division, which is basically a a six-and-a-half-game lead in their division. Nobody else in hockey has more than a three-point lead. There's three other divisions. Nobody else has more than a three-point lead in their divisions. The Bruins have a 13-point lead. They've just been dominant. Now, don't know how this is going to go. We've seen record-setting seasons crash and burn. We've seen a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning before they won their championships – have a really great regular season and get smoked in the first round, swept out of the first round by the Columbus Blue Jackets. We've seen that happen before. So this is not to say that the Bruins are going to win the championship, but we need to acknowledge just how good they're playing right now. The other acknowledgement I want to give is to Antoine Davis of Detroit Mercy, college basketball player. He is second in Division I history and career points, only behind Pete Maravich, he's 63 points behind Maravich. I don't know. I think he only has a couple of games left, uh, depending on how things go with conference tournaments. So I'm not sure what the odds of him catching Maravich are, but it's it's, it's been cool to see him chase this record. It's a record, again, Pete Maravich has it, so that gives you an idea of how long this record has stood in place. I do have to kind of preface this as to say that Davis is a fifth-year grad student. Whereas Maravich didn't play his freshman year because that was the rule back then. So we're comparing five years basically to three. So in their careers, Antoine Davis has averaged 25 points a game and Pete Maravich, is, he averaged 44 points a game. You want to talk about records that's never going to be broken? Nobody's going to break Pete average averaging 44 points a game in college. I guess that means he's the school's most skilled player ever according to how some people judge these things. But Antoine Davis, he's number one all-time in Division I three-pointers made. He has more than 60 more than second place. Somebody named Fletcher McGee. Don't know who that is, but shout-out to Fletcher McGee as well. Um, Davis has the freshman record for most three-pointers. That's a record that was held by Stephen Curry, so that's impressive. And he also has the longest streak of double-digit scoring games in Division I history. So I just wanted to give Antoine Davis his credit. And now you hear all these stats and all these impressive numbers, and you might start thinking, oh, you know, what's his chances in the NBA? He's listed as six foot one, 165 pounds. So basically kind of an Allen Iverson type size, not that type of an explosive athlete. So I don't know how much of a chance or how much of a look he's gonna get from the NBA, but I just want to celebrate what he's doing now. Detroit Mercy has a losing record on the season, even with this guy playing this way. So again, I don't know how far they're going to get in their conference tournament. There's pretty much no chance, unfortunately, of seeing them in the NCAA tournament, even though crazier things have happened. So I'm not going to close the door on that yet. But I just want to shout out Antoine Davis while I still can, while Detroit Mercy season is still going.
0: As always, Joyce and I appreciate y'all listening to us. Uh, You can follow us at Two Guys, Four Balls Podcast. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, again, if you have anything you want us to talk about, any questions, just 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 send us an email, send us a DM. Uh, we're always available to talk about anything that you guys want to talk about. Um, we'll be back next week, and hopefully the NBA gives us more to talk about because uh, the trade deadline and after the All-Star Game has already been crazy with 71 points and all the trades that happened. So NBA is definitely not disappointing this year. Thank you for listening to the Two Guys, Four Balls
1: podcast.